It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And I'm stuck. He's with you, cut. With his Honestly. I've got it. I've absolutely got it. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. is another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1. Thanks for being with us on the program. Alex Curie, Dan Jimenez in the house as usual. Thanks for being with us on the show. You can always download the podcast wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we do this uh, show pretty much every race week. We'll give you a breakdown and a preview of everything that is to come in the world of F1. Uh, I'm one of the newer fans to F1, and Dan is like an old school I've uh, been watching racing forever, has a racing background of engineering, and on top of it, uh, just like you and I, has avoids his day job just for a few moments every week to be able to jump into the the uh, <laughs> the, the F1 habit that we've created for ourselves. Dan, what's going on, man? Uh, it really is a habit. It's uh, It's been a great week. Uh, last weekend was phenomenal i think it was like reminded us why we're all so crazy about the sport it was an awesome race so i mean there was a little part of me that went oh it's a little bit of a bummer to not see max like continue that run but i might be in the minor in the minority here because i i just i like the idea of just going through and going having an undefeated season you know be the miami dolphins of uh of, of f1 which would be I mean, it's insane to think that they were even on that path, right? But um, it happened. It finally happened, and it happened to be in Singapore, a race that the Ferrari team won last year, although with uh, Charles Leclerc last time around. Uh, yeah, oh, last year, Sergio won. Oh, that's right. No, uh, no, no, I believe that's right. Singapore. He did. Yeah, Ferrari, Ferrari last one in Austria last year. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. See, in my in my head, with all the rain and everything last year, maybe they got uh, – maybe in my head that there was a little bit Oh, closer. yeah. Charles I, was on the pole. Charles was on pole last that's year. That's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. So Ferrari yeah. has have they figured some things out? I mean, I would think that the Tafosi are probably walking around chest puffed out. I mean, they normally are, even when they're not winning. But I just think that this is one of those moments where Ferrari can look around and be pretty excited to break that streak is is uh, is impressive in itself. Yeah, they're on a roll. They've got momentum building, and we're really going to know when it comes to Japan. It, you know, Carlos was saying that after the race too. That I mean, they were fantastic this weekend. Uh, they were great in Monza. 
but Japan is just bread and butter. And we'll talk more about Japan later in the episode, but it's bread and butter for Red Bull. And uh, so we're really going to see where the teams are stacking up relative to Red Bull after uh, a pretty bad weekend for them, you know, but I I like the point that you made around Red Bull uh, not being able to win every race this season. uh, Like we had potentially expected is I think just goes to show how hard of a, of an achievement that really is. So if it ever does happen, we need to think back to this year when we all thought that it was uh, uh, going to be a given. And then we, you know, go to Singapore, which is a, a, a significantly different track and uh red bull just was kind of real nowhere on the timesheet. Uh, so it, it, a record that's still yet to be broken. And if it does, we, we all need to you know definitely respect it um, because it's hard to do. Uh, speaking of hard to do, finishing the race seemed hard to do for uh, George Russell. Poor kid. Oh. I would like to say poor kid, but he put himself in the wall. I know he was. I mean, that was a cra- that was an insane fight. First of all, to have to have Carlos right there in first, and to just be managing those tires, going, I got nothing here. <laughs> like I have got to figure this thing out. He had a brilliant race strategy wise, um, but it was going to go two, three, four in some fashion to three British drivers with Lando Norris and uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. And poor Russell was, he was on that podium and he put it in the wall. And I guess that's just the nature of racing, but I mean, to have it happen, I mean, was there one lap left? Was it the last, was it on the last lap? I, I just remember the last lap. It, it was, was the last sector of the last. Oh, lap. and just that radio call. No, <laughs> like this idea <laughs> that you're to just be, and, and, and then to hear the Ferrari call, uh, Russell is in the wall. <laughs> you know, you're going. Russell's in the wall. Two more turns, you will win. Like the it's the, over. yeah. It was it was a pretty exciting thing though. But I mean, honestly, I don't. We have not had that type of a fight for first place for P1 in a race in I don't know how long. Yeah, I can't remember the last time. I mean, other than Max and Lewis at Abu Dhabi in 2021, that's the last time I can think of a last lap the potential for a last lap pass for the win. And we had four cars, like you said, within like a second and a half of each other, right. two seconds of each other. It was awesome. I mean, it was the kind of finish that I got spoiled as a NASCAR fan as being kind of common. A last lap pass is a more common in oval track racing, but there's something about it when it's after, you know, 62 laps on a street circuit uh, that uh, it made it extra special. It was a st- kind of stand up off your couch and be like five feet from the TV moment. Cause you just, don't know what's about to happen and george yeah it breaks her heart you know like that really sucks he could only blame himself for it right uh, it's it's wild that lando also nicked the wall right in front of him like those guys were going all out awesome. and he just had a mo- momentary lapse of judgment like centimeters doing a hundred plus miles per hour into that corner he's off by centimeters in it you know just totally ruins his weekend. He goes from, you know, hero to zero in, in a single corner. It was, it was like the, the, you know, the, um, just p- pain of defeat and, you know, the, or the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory all in, you know, one lap. It was uh, an emotional roller coaster. So what did Carlos do that was so brilliant strategy wise that got him that W that, uh, everybody was so excited about because, you know, they're, they're kind of lauding him as being the guy, like I, this is the race path that he has kind of chose chosen for himself he took some risks that others did not, or others took risks in other areas. What really ended up being the race win for this guy? Yeah, so it came in two phases. In the first phase of the race, before that safety car from Liam Lawson, um, or not Liam, it was uh, uh, Logan Sargent that brought yeah. up the safety car like lap 24 or something. 
So in that phase of the race, uh, Carlos was managing the pack. Like he was backing up and like George was coming up, uh, was, uh, I think he had gotten around Charles and was back in second and he was trying to pass. Um, and he, he would, even George was saying like, you know, Carlos is really going slow. And the reason he was doing that is he wanted to keep the pack like first through fifth, really tight with everyone else behind battling, them. battling one another. Right. Yeah, he wants them to battle one another and he wants to wants them to not undercut him. So if if they had stretched it out, George would have a space to be able to come in, pit, and come out and clear air right. and put down fast lap times and undercut um Carlos. So you didn't want that to happen. So he backs it up so that if George pits, he's comes back out in traffic. You know, he's in twelfth instead of like seventh, sure. and, you know, op- uh, open. So that was that was phase number one. Phase number two is um, okay, we have the virtual safety car, the Mercedes come in, they pit, they have fresh tires and it's, you know, they catch up, they get around Charles and now they get to Lando five laps to go. You would have thought they just would have breezed past Lando. So he backs up to Lando to get Lando within a second so that Lando can use his DRS against, um, to defend against, uh, George. And, uh, you know, that puts Carlos at a risk because now Lando's 0.8 behind him instead of maybe 1.5. So sure. that gives Lando a chance to to battle for first. So he's just playing a very tight gap of don't let Lando get close enough to pass you, but don't let him get out of your DRS zone so that he can defend against George for two or three extra laps, which ended up making the difference. So yeah, like a plus to Carlos for his racecraft. Uh, it was a uh, really cool to see that, um, you know, him playing that out and Ferrari gives him all the credit, uh, in, in the post race that they were saying that that was all on him kind of coming up with that strategy and implementing it. Uh, so, uh, it, it was cool to see. So what was the problem with Red Bull then? Why was it, was it just because Singapore is so darn hard to, to pass at the, around that circuit? Um, is it because, you know, the propensity for, there's always going to be safety cars. It seems like there's always going to be virtual safety cars. What is it that, that kept Red Bull out of this thing basically from the beginning? Because as soon as qualifying happened, Max said, yeah, this isn't happening this weekend. Like, we're not we're not it. And and I thought it was so funny that he was so dismissive. It wasn't even like, we'll see race time. I'm going to start passing everybody. And that wasn't the case. So why was it that Red Bull couldn't figure their stuff out this weekend in Singapore? Yeah. So the thing about Singapore, uh, it's a city circuit, obviously. Uh, so it's really rough. It's really uneven. There's, it's not a professional circuit that's like graded down to the millimeter of, 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 um, exactness. And so the cars have to ride higher. They have to have a higher ride height, like driving a formula one car is more like driving a go-kart than it is your normal street car. Um, our street cars can take up the bumps and, you know, you don't feel it. If you're in a go-kart driving down main street, you know, you're going to get your teeth knocked out. So they're driving in Singapore and so they have to raise the ride height and the Red Bull is designed to ride really low. And what they do better than anybody else is on those big, smooth, large professional circuits is they can slam that thing to the ground and be able to get all the driving dynamics that they need out of it where everyone else is used to riding higher than Red Bull. So you get to Singapore where everyone has to ride high. Red Bull has to lift their their ride height up. And now they're just playing in a in a, a setup that they're not used to, that everybody else is like, this is what we've been doing all year. So the other cars are more well-designed to, to ride at that height. And it just created, I think, what we would call like more of a level playing field, where at the other tracks like Japan we're going to go to, it's like everyone still has to stay high because they haven't quite figured out what Red Bull has with 
suspension and arrow and Red Bull gets to slam their car to the ground. So I think that was the difference is it, it was just such a different animal. Um, and, you know, when we get to Japan, we'll see if, okay, now when they go back to their bread and butter, are they going to be back at the front dominating or have the other teams really caught up um, and have maybe even these technical directives played an impact uh, in, in how competitive Red Bull is. All right, so let's now go to and and just for a kind of the overview by the way, the the weekend ended up with your podium of Science Norris Hamilton. Boom. There you go. Something different. So we just have to kind of do a victory lap there I guess for the for the sport of F1. And those guys were all within uh you know, one and a half seconds of one another at the top. So you have you have Science mm-hmm. less than a second for Lando Norris and then uh, 1.2 for uh for Lewis Hamilton uh, behind the leader. So that was really, really close at the top there. Leclerc, Verstappen. I, I read something about how, oh, Verstappen had a really, really great race. He, you just didn't notice it because, you know, he's back in fifth or whatever. And I thought, I'm not going to hear any of that because, you know, uh, Max <laughs> Verstappen doesn't go, that's actually a really good race for me. That was fifth place. was really good. I'm sure he had fun driving, but whatever. Uh, Gasly in sixth. Uh, Piastri, who just signed a new deal, inked a new deal through 2026, that guy's been racing the heck, uh, you know, driving the wheels off of that thing. And you're, his his teammate is, you know, not markedly better, I would say. But, I mean, he did beat him by about 40 seconds. I, they were on a different, little bit of a different strategy. But seventh place for Piastri. He gets a new deal. Was that deserved? Uh, yes. Uh, the new deal, absolutely. He's, I mean, performed uh, at, like, a level that no rookie has in a very long time. So, yeah, McLaren has really lucked into uh, – you know, maybe lucked or, I mean, he, he was going to Alpine, you know, a year ago. Uh, but so they've lucked into an amazing driver and I'm, I'm sure Alpine is really, uh, not happy with having missed out on that. Cause he's, he, he, he's a legit talent. So then you rounded out your, the rest of your points winners, uh, Piastri in seventh, like I said, Perez in, uh, eighth with four points, Liam Lawson first, uh, scoring of points in his career. That's an awesome job to be able to do that with an Alpha Tauri. That's a little bit of a dog. And uh, does that, I mean, I know that Danny Rick is going to be back with the wrist injury. I'm not saying he's going to be an Alpha Tauri guy, but does the seat open up and people like what Liam Lawson is? Or is this just as a nice little brief stint that he's uh, going to have and maybe never never be back in a in an F1 seat again? Um, um, I think that they are going to not make the same mistake they did with Nick DeVry and like rush him into the sport. I think it's great that he's scoring points and he shows that he belongs in F1 or at least a chance at it. But uh, I imagine that they have him run either the super formula in Japan that he's running right now or F2 for another season and that they next year they go Alpha Tauri as Yuki for a year and Daniel Ricardo for a year and they see what happens. I think that that the pressure is on Yuki to perform more than anybody. Um, and there's rumors coming out even today that the, that they might be announcing a one-year extension for Yuki's contract here, you know, in Japan and is at his home race. Uh, so it's probably another year for those two. Liam, great. Thanks for filling in. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, we'll reevaluate for 2025. That's always Which is tough. probably a good thing for him, you know? I, I mean, it, he, I'm sure he wants to get into it, but... Uh, you know, he doesn't want a Nick DeVries thing where it's too too soon and six six months later. Right, more him. development, try to figure it out. Uh, how about uh, your guy K-Mag scoring his first points since uh, all the way back at the Miami Grand Prix back in May? Uh, and Haas gets some points. That's kind of nice. I mean, I think that's only – I don't think he scored many points this year. I think that might be his um, – yeah, I think that might be his third or fourth point of the year. 
So it's not like he's had a great year. Obviously, oh no, he's uh, he's got six points on the season. So you've got uh, K Mag, who's uh, got points around it out in tenth. Uh, you know, overall, I think it was an awesome race. I mean, nobody could argue with the fact that you know when we're watching battles for seventh and eighth, Dan, at the end of a race. Uh, on TV, I'm not that excited about it. When we got to actually watch the front of the pack, which is also, I think, a problem in F1. I mean, that's something that if you tune into races, I, I have a hard time explaining to my kid that, like, oh no, this this scrap right now for between 11th and, and 13th is actually pretty intense. Like, that's just something we have a hard time <laughs> comprehending, right? In racing, it's certainly not that way in in NASCAR. I guess maybe it is a little bit, but I, it, it's one of those things that I have a hard time explaining to people who get into the sport for the first time. Yeah, it's it's a bit of like this era of, you know, DRS and all these other like uh, ground effect cars were like trying to fabricate a bit more excitement because yeah. of the way that like the cars have just been developed. I, I am optimistic for a future where the race we saw on Sunday is a race we see every other week, you know, every four races. It's it's I think we're going to get a lot more competitive with new regulation changes that they're talking about. Now, those aren't until 2026, but um, I, I think that we're, we're on a good path. Um, and then not in sooner than that, I think the other teams are going to catch up very quickly with Red Bull. I think that, that, that there, you know, a regulation change happened last year. Red Bull was on top of the optimums setup and strategy from the get go, but everyone's going to catch up and it's going to like reach a point where teams are much more equal. And I think we're starting to see that. So, um, I, yeah, I'm excited for what the next few races uh, into the end of the season will show us and set up for hopefully a much more competitive um, year next year. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a super exciting race top to bottom. I feel bad for guys like, you know, Albon. He got absolutely punted uh, by or door slammed by uh, Perez. <laughs> and there hasn't been enough said about that. Like Perez, I think like hit three dudes over the weekend, didn't get a penalty, like there's some double standard going on right there, but I think that was the weekend that Paris didn't want anybody to remember because he just was kind of all over the place. So maybe the best tweet of the week was Oscar Piastri signing the deal and tweeting out stress-free contract announcement as always. (laughs) (laughs) And to have Alpine actually respond back uh, on Twitter with the, uh, with Homer Simpson, uh, getting backed into the uh, into the hedges. <laughs> so, up into the I hedge. think everybody. I think everybody kind of wins that one. Uh, kudos to uh, Piastri for the funny one, and then uh, uh, Alpine for uh, having that. I, I wanted to ask you something about before we get to Japan. Fernando Alonso said something. He goes, "Look, I'll say it. Qualifying is broken. Uh, we need to figure something else out in our sport. It's been the same exact format forever. These cars are different now. We need to change the way." that qualifying happens is that just him saying i didn't have a great qualifying i'm kind of pissed about it uh is there a version of qualifying that is like an alternative out there because i don't want to just change it for the sake of changing it if the whatever the the alternative is is not as as exciting where are we on the idea of changing qualifying is it ever going to change right now in this particular format or is that just alonzo complaining yeah um, I think he's 100% right here. I'm with him on this, and he's kind of been on this uh, train for a while now. I mean, the qualifying formats have changed, you know, and not for, they haven't changed for, um, you know, a, a while, but like we've had different formats over the decades. So it's definitely um, an option on the table. And I think the point that he tries to make is like the way that these cars are built with like hybrids and having to recharge the batteries and get the, temp- the tires into the optimum like temperature zone, you really get one shot. 
per qualifying session at your best time. So if we're just like one shot, one lap, then let's just go to one lap qualifying. Instead of doing all the knockout nonsense where people are like backing up and trying to say like, okay, I want the most optimum. I want to make my lap at the most optimum time for, for speed on the track, which is like latest in the session as possible. And then you just get these, what we saw in Singapore, just people like all over each other or start trying to fit trying to finish their last lap and then people getting penalized for impeding. It's ridiculous. I'm with Alonzo on that. My vote would be, and I think the same thing that he's advocating for is single lap qualifying. Just on Friday, we randomize the order and we say, okay, these everyone's going to go out in this particular order first through 20th. And you get one shot at it and every all eyes are on the track when so-and-so is going around and you get, you know, I think that that then puts a lot on the driver's plate because you just have to, min- you know, minimize your errors. And uh, rather than like, oh, if I didn't get it that lap, I'm going to get another chance at it. This is the, the um, format that they had in NASCAR for a super long time. I always thought it was very exciting because it's just all the attention is on one driver at a time. And it, it can be really make or break. And you could see, you know, Max messes up in one corner. Like, that's it. You know, he's starting 12th. And, you know, that that's part of the game is that you have to be, you know, precise and uh, and perfect. So uh, that, that would be my vote. And my guess is that we test it out in a sprint format, uh, sprint weekend, that sprint qualifying instead of is a, a, instead of knockout goes to a single uh, lap qualifying. And, and we see how that goes. But I'm, I'm with Alonzo on this one. I'm going to, before we get into Japan, I'm going to make you, this is a little bit of a, this is kind of a, not a quiz really. It's going to be your thoughts on this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have the choice of one racing decked out streetcar produced by Japan all time. Is it an, is it, is it easy enough as you just say the Nissan GTR? Is it the Honda NSX? Is it maybe one of those sweet uh, Nissan Z's? Maybe the old Datsun Z. Remember before they became Nissan? Yeah, yeah. The old Datsun Z. The, the, oh, the Skyline, the Supra. I mean, these are ones, when I was a kid, I had a neighbor who had a Supra, and I was like, this is like a, what is that, like a Celica on, on steroids? And somebody's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the standard, man. Uh, that Skyline, people import those, the right-hand drive of the Nissan Skyline. I'll say that going down the road sometimes, that old 80s, uh, early 90s kind of look to that. The Honda NXS, NSX, obviously, the Toyota 2000 GT. Which one is it that you'd pick in your garage? You only get one Japanese street uh, racing car to put in your one. garage. Yep. Okay. I was going to hope I could get two, nip, nip. but okay. One, if I'm going for only one and it's like, we might need a whole nother 30 minutes mm-hmm. to talk about this topic, mm-hmm. but um, I would say an RWB Porsche and RWB is a, it's a what the heck that's uh, cheating. You can't pick a Porsche. Oh, okay. But okay. So I know it's not a Porsche. Okay. Okay. Then this isn't the one if it doesn't count, but the RWB is like <laughs> a specialty body kit that they do out of a garage, like a shop in Japan okay. for Porsches where they like get super wide, uh, you know, fender big flares yeah, yeah, yeah. and the whole thing. So in my mind, because the guy who does runs that shop is Japanese, like that's why I, my mind went to a Japanese make. So it's that one basically, if people were, if people were to picture <laughs> an RWB Porsche, it's the poster that your oldest brother had on yeah. the wall for like the old school 911 like Carrera, right? With those wide hips and they make the oh, side yeah. flares to fit those wide back tires. They got the big wing on the back, but you're right. It does not count because it's a Porsche. Okay. So I'm going to go with maybe non-traditional answer, but I'm going to say the Lexus LFA. Okay. Um, 
And why I say that is it is the best sounding car I've ever heard in real life. And the only time I've heard it was driving home from work uh, from the race shop in North Carolina. And uh, Kyle Busch um, from uh, NASCAR, uh, famous driver, uh, passes me. And he's in his Lexus LFA that he got because he's a Toyota driver. Yeah, and right. it, was yellow. Mm-hmm. it was yellow, just like his number 18 M&M's car was yellow. The right. sound that that um, uh, engine made just gave me a feeling that no other car has has ever given me on the road. Just It was incredible. So okay. if you haven't listened to it, if we can listen to it now, great. Go watch your YouTube videos. The LFA, I don't even know if it drives great. I think it looks good and it sounds amazing okay. for me. Found and looks is everything. I found... This guy, this is one of those videos where they do the full kind of wrap around of this car. Here we go. Got the big tri exhaust on the back. This is a V10, right? Yeah. Oh, it's got that little purr at the end, too. Yeah, people love this. Oh, there you go. All right. I see, I see what you're doing there. You know what? That is. That's kind of uh, like a like an old school like V twelve Ferrari right there, dude. Like some yeah, something special on that thing, dude, man. It's it sounded like an F one car when it passed me on the road. Right, the, the like, F one videos of those V tens that they had back in the day, the ones that just with those high 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 RPMs. People people still drool over it and say that this V six hybrid's no good, and and that's mm-hmm. the sound they're looking for is that one right there. All yep. right. I'm gonna have to go with the 1993 <laughs> Nissan Maxima that I drove in high school. All <laughs> <laughs> reliable Maxima. Oh, I'm telling you. No, I would. I, I I used to obsess over like the Lexus. You know, they had that 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 whole. You know, the LFA is pretty dope, but I think that the GTR to have that like handmade signature on that on that uh, on that engine that somebody makes for you there. Uh, I think that would be yeah. so. I think that'd be so cool, and that's. I think that's one of the fastest production cars. It's still, yeah. you know, that's still out there. So it's pretty. It's a, and yeah. it's a, got a great look to it. And it's somehow they were able to go, hey, here's the skyline heritage that we have, and we're going to make it look even more cool. And I think it's, uh, I think that'd be my pick. Yeah. Is that GTR? Yeah, the the GTR. Um, I've only been able to drive a GTR once. It was my neighbor's, and it was like tuned to the nines. It was oh, crazy. My gosh. It was like boosted to some ridiculous psi, and uh, I mean. I've driven, I've owned AMGs and they're amazing. They're so much fun. They're crazy fast, but the no. GTR scared me. Yeah, it yeah. was legitimately put the fear of God in me when I put my <laughs> foot on, to the floor. It, it's, 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 uh, it's crazy. My so I think that's a good pick. My neighbors raced in the SCCA series growing up. My, my next door neighbors, it was a husband, wife racing team. They both <laughs> had Mazda RX sevens, right. From like, you know, huh. that late, that early nineties kind of body style. And uh, when they would fire those things up on Saturday mornings, kind of getting warmed up, because all they're doing is trailering that stuff to the racetrack on their own. And by the way, she won most of the races. Like he, nice. he like he got there, and I swear he tuned her car better so that like because he <laughs> liked the idea of her winning, beating all these guys on the weekend, including himself. So uh, the RX-7 has a different sound to it. That rotary engine, I'll always remember that sound as well. Growing up uh, next to a couple of RX-7 racers. All right, get us to Japan though. Now that we've determined what car. We would uh, we would likely try to own at some point if we could uh, if we could own Japanese racing cars. Tell us what's going on in Suzuka. What should we expect? You said this is Red Bull's bread and butter. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a high speed uh, 
cornering. So big, long sweeping. And the first section is a bunch of kind of tight S's that start to open up. And then the rest of it is just big, wide sweeping, high speed down, uh, uh, corners. So Red Bull's really good at um, compromising or making the compromise between drag and downforce. And so we, I think everyone in the paddock is expecting them to be back to full form this next week, but no one really knows for sure. Right. Um, is Ferrari McLaren. This is probably going to be a good McLaren track. Um, Mercedes is obviously showing some strength. Uh, and then, um, it rains a lot, uh, in Suzuka. So I'm sure if we pulled up the weather report, it would say high chance of rain. So that throws in the uncertainty there. And then the technical directive that, um, came out for Singapore, which got rid of a lot of the flexi wing, flexi arrow stuff, you know, Red Bull saying like, oh, that didn't affect us. Uh, but I mean, it, we'll find out. Right. So I think we're going to know a lot, um, after, uh, you know, first and second practice this weekend. Um, and it's just, it's a fun race. The Japanese fans are commonly, you know, um, described as the most passionate fans in F1. So it's, it's always a fun watch last year was, it was the race that Max sealed up the championship, but didn't know it until like five minutes after the race was over because no one, everyone is confused about the points and how it was supposed to work. That was that fumble between FIA versus F1 and everybody pointed the fingers at each other, even to the off season where I think we talked about, uh, uh, wasn't it, uh, Ben Suleiman who was like, this was your problem. Like he was, yeah, he threw the shade at the, the, uh, at the champagne dinner. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody's going to question whether or not Max is going to win the championship this year. So that might be a moot point. Right. Yep. Uh, as we look forward to this race then, give me what this looks like then. Is this just an easy, uh, Red Bull one, two, or how does it, how does it work then? Do we have some semblance of, of carrying over from the weekend of some success from Ferrari or who does well at a track like this other than uh, Red Bull? Yeah, I think Ferrari and McLaren um, are the two that I would watch. Uh, I think Oscar, this this is the type of track that I think Oscar as a rookie could learn quickly and excel at um, versus like the more technical uh, Singapore. So uh, I'm, I'm looking to them. Uh, man, Aston Martin has really got to get their act together. This was not a great no. <laughs> last weekend. Obviously, Lance is just doing everything he can to lose his seat. Um, and Alonzo <laughs> did not have a great race, but I, I, you would think that this would be a good track for them as well. So hopefully they can return to form a bit. Um, but man, I, I, I think Carlos is just in a mental state right now that is, uh, uh, primed and ready to take a, a fight to, a, to max. So, um, I, I think that they're going to be super competitive. Okay. Give us your uh, podium then. Give me your thoughts on how this thing ends. One, two, three, since you called, uh, signs, Norris and uh, Hamilton for last week. Let's see if you, if you can keep the dream going. Oh boy, um, yeah, I'm gonna say Max wins. Uh, it, and uh, if my if I'm putting money down on it, Max wins. We get Carlos uh, second and Lando third. Okay, I like it. Uh, it's another week of of uh, of our podcast in the books. If you have not downloaded the podcast yet or uh, subscribed to it, we encourage you to do so. If you jump on, you can listen to these every week and then tell somebody who's ever getting in to uh, – whoever's getting in of your friends to F1, tell them, hey, I've got a podcast for you. These guys have a little bit more of an American uh, tilt to it because we kind of see everything through that lens. So so do that. Go to wherever your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Google Play, anything, any of those things, you can find the podcast there or – 
Download the KSL Sports app, and you can uh, find the podcast there every week as well. For Dan Jimenez, I'm Alex Curie. We'll see you next time, everybody. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.